continue to praise him today. Hallelujah. Behold, he comes.
salvation. Amen. Aren't you excited today? God is so good. Hallelujah, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds, Father God, for what you would have us receive today.
prophet Isaiah heard from the throne room of God, who will go? And Isaiah said, here I am, here, here, I'm here. And really, how much, how much of just obeying God is saying, God, I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm here. You know, most of life is just, just being there. So, Lord, we just say we're here. We just say we're here for you to speak to. We're here with open ears. We're here with hearts that want to be open. We're here with availability. We're here with resources. We're here with time. We are here. And, Lord, do among us and inside of us what you want to do today. Because we are here. Lord, let us be fully here in every way. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. It is so good to see you today. Um, as we go into our time of just greeting, just saying hey to each other, encouraging each other, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, man, you look really good for one less hour of sleep. You look really good for one less hour of sleep. So go ahead and just lie, lie in church, tell people that look so great, one less hour of sleep, and God bless you. That's right. You are welcome. If you're a guest here, we have these Connect cards in the seat back in front of you. If you could complete them at the conclusion of our worship service, uh, bring them to our guest services table out there, and they have uh, a gift for you. But that's a tremendous help to us. We're so glad to have you here. We're going to receive our morning tithe and offering. And how many were able to be here last weekend with our missions, uh, missions guest, Dwayne Danielson? A bunch of you. And a bunch of you came out that night for the dinner, which was fabulous. A uh, really good time, and uh, he just had some, uh, Dwayne had some exceptional um, uh, words from the Word of God for us, uh, and if you've uh, filled out your faith promise, uh, thank you for doing that, and uh, that's an exciting uh, uh, part of our, our experience of worship together is at giving. So let's pray this morning as we, uh, as we focus on our time of worship and giving right now. Jesus, thank you that we get to participate in the work of your kingdom. And thank you that we get to do it with our feet, with our hands, with our mind. And we also get to do it with our resources. I pray your blessing on this moment of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Chosen gem. 
Thanks, worship team. Appreciate you guys. We have some announcements today, and let me go through a couple of those. Again, as I said, the most people don't read this, so we just that's why we read it. And uh, so if you, if you don't like seeing me every week do this, then just read it, and it'll become a thing of the past. Um, so, hey, but a few things about what we've got going on this morning. Uh, in, in the order of as they're happening, uh, we've got the 16th, which is, uh, I believe, this Thursday night. Uh, we've got our ladies' night out. Uh, that's happening at Hibachi on Route 40 in Bear. Uh, make note of that. It's something, that that's something you'd like to be a part of at 530. Uh, we have our men's work day this coming Saturday, and that's going to be happening. Tools needed this year. We, got, we need some, some weed whackers or trimmers, whatever you call them, uh, wheelbarrows, garden rakes, leaf rakes, leaf blowers, 8 to 10 a.m., donuts, coffee, and juice will be ready for you. So men... Uh, you know, if, maybe if you haven't been out to a men's morning in a while, men's breakfast or a men's work day, come on out and be a part of that day. Uh, Revelation Bible study started a couple weeks ago, and that's going to be going on this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock to 8.30 in the chapel down that end of the building, so make sure you check that out. Um, also, beginning on the 19th, which will be next Sunday, will be our series that pastor's going to begin on the book of Revelation, specifically the seven churches of Revelation. And so that's happening. The 25th, the Joy Group Luncheon is going to be going on March 25th, which is also a Saturday. That's going to be at noon, meet in the cafe. That's always a good time, always great food. And then uh, lastly, well, second to lastly, um, hey, uh, youth camp deposits are due today $100. We can take a $100 bill, hundred ones, $100 in pennies, we'll figure it out, okay? But $100 is due today, and the good news is, is the balance isn't due till May, so that's perfect. So you got a, a little break here. Get the 100 in, uh, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll be able to take care of that uh, final amount due in the month of May. So again, youth camp deposits are due today. Um, and the final announcement 
is our Easter candy. How many have this here in front of you? We don't have the QR code on the screen. It's not necessary today. But you've got it here right in your bulletin, right in front of you. You can take your phone, open the camera, point it at it, boom, the link it gives you, tap on it. It goes there to the order form. You can do that right now if you want. We also, at the, at the, at the conclusion of prayer, when that, when, when that aspect of our, of our time of worship is done, uh, we'll have some students out in the lobby that'll have some samples today of some of the different items we'll be selling. So they will have samples. It'll be like Costco. It'll be like literally going to Costco, much more spiritual, a lot cheaper, and uh, a much more worthy cause of Speed the Light. So uh, that'll be happening at the conclusion. And again, QR codes here in your bulletin, QR codes out there. There are some paper order forms. If you just prefer those, no problem. And that's something that you can do um, at the uh, conclusion of, of service. Remember, uh, Easter, the Resurrection Sunday, is around the corner. We're going to be delivering this stuff on April 2nd, so you want to put your orders in quickly, trust me. And I've got a bunch of chocolate, and we're excited to, to be able to use it for the kingdom of God. God bless you this morning. Yep, don't forget, <clears throat> Easter candy. We've got to keep this guy busy. He's got a lot of workers, a lot of helpers, and uh, appreciate the Costco analogy. I was going to throw that out there in case you forgot. That was perfect. And um, yeah, thinking about the Easter candy, don't wait for it to be half off. Order now, okay? Um, <clears throat> and you can order early in my message if you have to, all right? But not when we get into the meat of it, okay? Right now would be a good time to hit that QR code and uh, let me get warmed up here. Anyways, listen, so as you heard, beginning next week, we're going to start a series on the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. That is on Sunday mornings. At the same time, we've already begun on Wednesday night going through the book of Revelations chapter by chapter. And so we're going to look at the entire book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. We're only looking at the seven churches on Sunday mornings. And we're doing this because I am very much aware. I mean, I really believe that it's time for Christians to once again be mindful of end time events. What theologians call eschatology, the study of of end times. And I'm very concerned about all this because I surmise that Christians today are much more, we are much more interested in the here and now than we're interested in the inevitable. And I say that because whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming again. And, and one of the messages about his return that is constantly repeated and Jesus himself stressed this over and over again, is that we need to be ready. We need to be ready and looking forward to his return, to, to his second coming. And before we get into study of the end times next week, I want us to consider today what happens when a person leaves this planet the old-fashioned way. Okay, what, what the Old Testament refers to as going the way of their forefathers. Going the way of their fathers. You see, if you don't know this already, when Jesus returns, the first thing that happens is that something called the rapture takes place. And I want us to take a look at what is going to happen someday as recorded for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. And here's what Paul wrote in those verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. He said, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death 
so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I want you to notice in particular again, verse 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now that is clearly a future event. Someday all the redeemed, all those who have ever been redeemed with us will meet Christ in the air. The dead first, then the living. But until that time, the only other way that we can meet Jesus is through our own physical death. That's what I meant by the old-fashioned way. And so you see, my concern today is that not only do some Christians not think very often about Jesus' return, but they also rarely remember the fact that eternity, for every one of us, eternity is only one heartbeat away. For every one of us, just one heartbeat away. And so with that thought in mind, it begs the question, what should we be doing until we go to meet Jesus or until he comes to us? Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would, as it's already been prayed, Lord, that our, our hearts would be ready to receive what you have for us today. Lord, I pray for, for the richest unction of your Holy Spirit. Lord, your anointing on each one of our hearts Lord, to truly hear what you are saying to the church. Without distraction. Without anything holding back, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would break through today. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's go back to the question that I put before you just before we prayed. What should we be doing until our death or our rapture. What should Christians be doing while we're here on this earth? Well, I think we all know what we have to do each and every day, right? We have to go to work so we can pay our bills. That you got to do. We need to eat. We need shelter. We need the basics of life. And then our kids too, they need to go to school so they can be prepared for their vocation and their profession for when they become adults someday and do the same obligatory things that we have to do. But besides these constant and mundane obligations, Jesus gave us a couple of important mandates. In Luke chapter 19, when he told the parable of the ten talents, the the, the man in the parable, the master in the parable told his servants, he told his servants to occupy until I return. And by occupy, he didn't mean just sitting around, taking up space, and passing time doing whatever they would prefer to do. The word for occupy in that passage implies being intentional. 
It almost lends itself to the idea of gaining more. Conquering. Appropriating. It is not a verb that is passive in any way. In fact, the one servant who was passive, I'm not going to read the story because you know the story. One man was given ten talents, another five, another two, or there's the other time when one was given five and, and the last one was given one. Occupying means to gain more. And while we're on this earth, we are likewise, as Christians, we are meant to occupy and to increase our master's treasure, which in this case is souls. It's not money, it's not talents, it's souls. Our master wants to increase the size of his heavenly family. And of course, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus specifically gave his disciples, and he gives us as his disciples today, he gave us the great commission. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, you, go and make disciples of all nations. The word literally means all peoples. Nations is a word ethnos in the Greek, which means peoples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so besides doing what we need to do to earn a living every day, we need to also be about our Father's business. And the Father's business is sharing the good news of what Jesus Christ has done to liberate us, and we've experienced this, to liberate us from the bondage of sin and death and to make disciples of all people. And I know that we can all agree that we as a local church, we do way more than our portion of reaching the lost in foreign lands. We do a great job in that. We're an incredibly generous church when it comes to missions, and you heard all about it last weekend during our missions convention. But my concern this morning is reaching people that we personally know. Not those whom are the furthest away, but rather those who are the closest to us. My concern is reaching people that we live with, people that we're related to, that, that we work with, people who know us. There was a video series that focused on the family produced many years ago, and I'll, I'll always remember a statement uh, by Dr. James Dobson he made, that he made in that, in that series. And it had to do with life goals. And he eventually he gets down to the most important life goal that any one of us should have, and that's getting to heaven. Amen? I mean, everything in this world passes away. And he said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to paraphrase because I, I, you know, anyway, I'll get close enough. But he was speaking about his children and he was speaking to his children. And he said, when I'm gone, meaning from this earth, when I finally get to heaven, I'll be waiting for you. And he said, you be there. I'm going to be waiting for you. You be there. I want you to make sure that someday you are in heaven. Amen. And our goal should be to make it to heaven, every last one of us. But then he added this. He said, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be waiting for you. You be there. And then he added this. He said, and bring as many people with you as possible. Do you get it? It's not just to get us there. It's to bring as many with us as possible. Like the parable of the talents. Occupy until I come. We are to enlarge the master's heavenly family. 
And so I hope that every one of you here today knows Jesus as your Savior and that heaven will someday be your home. And I want you also to consider your loved ones now who don't. You know heaven is yours, but what if they don't? What happens if, there is, what happens if, if they should die before Jesus comes? What should happen if they're still alive when Jesus returns? And Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And because there is a judgment, a judgment by God, every single person on this planet needs an advocate. Because we're all going to stand before the judge, we need an advocate. We need a, an attorney. And in fact, 1 John 2.1 tells us that we have an advocate, a spiritual attorney. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. This is 1 John 2.1. He pleads our case before the Father. And then he, he says, he is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. You and I have an advocate. We have Christ as our Savior. But again, what about that loved one of ours who doesn't? Do you have friends or family who are lost? And what does it mean to be lost? You know, Jesus described the lost as sheep without a shepherd. And all of mankind needs the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus declared, he, he said this about himself, he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I want to take a look at the entire passage because I want, I want us to gain more context here. Let's look at John chapter 10, beginning of verse 6. They'll be up on the screen. John chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus spoke to them using this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So he said to them again, Truly, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to its fullness, in all its fullness. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, and the sheep are not his own. When he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep, runs away. Then the wolf pounces on them, scatters the flock. The man runs away because he's a hired servant and is unconcerned for the sheep. And he says again, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in as well and they will listen to my voice. And then there'll be one flock and one shepherd. The reason the father loves me is that I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And he's predicting his death and his resurrection, of course. But let's take what we just read here and let's apply it to the people who are closest to us. People who are part of our family. They may not yet know Jesus. They have not yet given their hearts to him and received his offer of eternal life. Those people that you know that do not know Jesus... They're like lost sheep. They're wandering, aren't they? They really are. They're wandering through life. And at the same time, they're vulnerable. I mean, just like lost sheep. And just like, I mean, they really, they don't even know that they're wandering. 
They have no direction in their life. They, they may be able to fake it for a while. It may look like they've got things together. Um, trust me, if you remember the days before you came to Christ, you know that they don't have it together. They don't even know that they're wandering. They don't even know they're lost. Worst of all, they don't even realize that they're in danger. Jesus told us explicitly here that Satan is after them to steal and to kill and to destroy. But the good shepherd wants to give them life and life to its fullest. That's John 10.10. And that's where we come in. We have got to tell them about this good and loving shepherd who not only wants to guide them during this life, during their lifetime on this earth, but he also wants to, he also wants to make it possible for them to live eternally in heaven. That's the good shepherd. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It says another, another story. There was a rich man dressed in purple and fine linen. That tells us he's rich. Who lived each day in joyous splendor. And there was a beggar named Lazarus who lay at the gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And one day the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and he was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham from afar with Lazarus by his side. And so he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham answered, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things. Well, Lazarus only received bad things, but now he's comforted here while you're in agony. And besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that even those who wish cannot cross from here to you, nor can anyone cross from there to us. Then I beg you, Father, he said, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers and let him warn them so that they will not also end up in this place of torment. But Abraham replied, they have Moses. And they have the prophets. Let your brothers listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent. And then Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now let's be honest. I mean, this is, this is a pretty overwhelming verse. Overwhelming passage. I mean, this is a scene. This is a scenario. It, it, I'm, I'm telling you, it's not, I know it's not one you're going to go home and read again devotionally. <laughs> it, it's, 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 it really makes us uncomfortable. Especially if you, like me, have a relative that you're unsure about concerning their relationship with God. You know, maybe you have a loved one who's already passed into eternity and you're not sure where they are today. This passage makes all that much more difficult. This passage is disturbing because it illustrates to us the reality of heaven and hell. And we can either take this story and bury it inside of ourselves somewhere, deny this reality, or we can feel a sense of urgency just like this rich man did. I mean, in verse 27, he said, I beg you, Father. I beg you, Father, send Lazarus. Send someone to warn my brothers. They need to repent. They need to be born again. They need to be saved. 
He's, he's like, listen, if it's too late for me, spare them. Send someone to them. Well, they have Moses. That represents the law. They have the prophets, which, which, which point towards the arrival of a Messiah. And he says, if they, he won't, they won't listen. They're not going to, even if they saw your ghost, they wouldn't, they wouldn't respond. And please understand, too, this is not a story against being rich or that rich people go to hell and good people, poor people go to heaven. This story is meant to explain to us the two realities of heaven and hell. How every human being needs to decide in this lifetime. And we know this, but I want to remind you today that every human being needs to decide during this lifetime where they're going to spend the next life. You have to do it now before that final heartbeat. Because there really is a place of torment as well as an eternal place of peace and and comfort. And this isn't a story about justice or social justice. This is a story about mercy. And about how everyone, everyone needs to accept God's grace before they pass over that line between death and eternity. And again, this is where we come in. Okay, look look with me to Romans 10.8. Romans 10.8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. That if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone, everyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard about? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So what about that friend or family member of yours who's not yet a Christian? Okay, And notice I keep saying not yet. Not yet a Christian. And I say this because you know what? There's always hope until their last breath. There's always hope. And I say that because time and time again I've seen it. I have seen people on their deathbed accept Christ and leave this world. And even though they didn't live for God, even though they didn't know him all their life, I've seen them go right. I know they're in eternity. I know they prayed with sincerity. I know that God cleansed them and forgave them of all their sin, all their past, that all of a sudden there was a relationship that wasn't there before. And because of that relationship, because they have an advocate, a spiritual attorney before the father, they will be judged righteous because that attorney is righteous. And then, of course, we even have in Scripture Jesus on that Passion Week dying on a cross between two thieves. One mocks him, the other believes in him. And the one who believed in him, Jesus said to him, Today, today you will be with me in paradise. As long as there's one heartbeat left, as long as there's another breath, that's why I say, Not yet. There's still a chance, there's still a chance. Look back at that passage again. I I need to single out verses 14 and 15. How then, this is Romans, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? 
And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, I want to just stop for a minute. Guys, we're not going to change anything that we do about world missions, foreign missions. Today, I'm making a little bit of a comparison that we do a great job with our involvement in foreign missions. And we need to because much of the world has never even heard the name of Jesus. What I want to do today is to help us to just think about those who are closest to us. Not those who are the furthest away, but those that are closest to us. Because they're at least familiar with the name Jesus. They may not believe. They may not understand it all, so they have not yet accepted him. But at least they've heard the name Jesus. Much of the world has not. And so we're going to continue our involvement in world missions. But for today, I want us to focus right here. That's why he says, how can... How can how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one they've not heard? Much of the world has never even heard once. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? You see what's being implied here. Again, how can, how can they call on someone they don't know? And that again is where we come in. We have to be the one who tells them. And them is the people who are closest to us. We have to tell them. We have to make it clear to them. Don't assume, yeah, they know you go to church. Yeah, they know you go to an assembly God church. Yeah, they know. But have you ever really had that conversation where you tell them how to get to heaven? Not how to go to church. Not how to be a church member. But have you ever really told them how to get to heaven? They'll never know if we don't tell them. You know, that happened to me. When I was a teenager, I went to a church in my neighborhood and I did have a basic, I had a basic desire, and this is so vague. Listen to the way I phrased this for us this morning. I had a basic desire to want to believe that there might be a God. That sounds pretty weak, doesn't it? There was just a slight desire, like there's got to be, there's got to be something bigger out there than me. There's got to be a God, but I don't know. I mean, and of course it was a very liberal church. I've already shared about this in the past. I, I later found out just how liberal they were. And that this church not only did not promote believing in God, but if you were to talk to my pastor, he didn't believe in God. I mean, basically, the theology of the church I went to is that there is no God, but everybody goes to heaven. And really, only in the last few years have I thought about how absurd that is. Because if heaven is where God lives, and there is no God, then who created heaven? They believed that Jesus was nothing more than a good rabbi. He was a good teacher, a good moral man. And now and then we'd hear his name, not often in a sermon. Because again, they actually taught that there is no God and Jesus wasn't a God. He was just a good teacher, just like any of the Buddhas. And yet they kept, you know, it kept now and then just reminding us that when we die, we go to heaven. There is no God. But we're all going to go to heaven. And you know what? Even though that was shared from the pulpit, I never had an assurance. I, I, had, I had a ton of doubts. I, I never had the peace that I had the moment I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. Again, they, they, would, they would talk about everybody going to heaven, but I, I wasn't convinced. And I don't think you can be convinced until you have Jesus living inside of you. So all that they were selling was religion. Man searching and wondering if there might be a God. 
But then again, once I met Jesus, then I had real, I had Christianity, not religion. I had Christ in me. And I knew in a moment, in the moment I invited him into my life, I knew that God was real and that he was alive. And you know what? I began to tell everybody I knew. Now, the problem was um, I got saved my first night at Old Roberts University. And everybody there already knew Jesus. Wasn't anybody I could tell. And you know what's funny? Jesus, I mean, I'm telling you, the night I, I prayed and asked Christ to be my Savior, I guess it was the next morning, it all became very real to me. I didn't realize what had happened at that moment, but the next morning I knew. I, I didn't know the theology of it, I didn't know all the technicalities of it, but I knew that something had changed. And I, I, I mean, the one thing that was so big for me is, you know, a few hours before, I wasn't sure that there was a God and the minute I accepted him as Christ, the next morning I woke up and I'm talking to him. I mean, like he's right there. Nobody taught me he was right there. I just knew he was right there. And you know that too, if you had that kind of experience. I knew in a moment. And, and Jesus, Jesus' disciples did the same thing. Now it took them a while before they began telling people. It took them about seven weeks before they started telling others. But again, the night I got saved at Oral Roberts University, the next morning I woke up, and not only did I know that God was real, but I could not wait for Christmas break to get home and tell everyone what happened. It was the longest four months of my life. And I'm telling you guys, I, I thought about writing it out, maybe sending letters to people. I said, no, somehow I just knew this had to be done face to face. And I had to wait four months to go home and tell people that I had found the Messiah. And yet, you know, there are a lot of reasons why we don't tell people about Jesus today. Most of it is a simple aversion to rejection. I mean, no one likes rejection. Anybody like rejection? We'll talk later if you do, but we don't want to get shot down for telling someone that Jesus is real and alive. Now, I don't think we'd ever back down. I don't think we'd ever get apologetic. But we're not, we're not the kind of church that was in America 40, 50 years ago where we'd get in, we'd, we'd just walk up to anybody and tell them about Jesus. But we don't like rejection. And yet the early church, early Christians risked their lives. Many of them lost their lives for telling people what they had found. We might also feel as though people just aren't interested. I think we feel like most people just really, they, you know, they're not interested. But you know what? At the same time, how can they be interested in something that doesn't exist, that they don't know exists? How do you get someone interested in something they know nothing about? That's why we have to tell them. You know, how, how, can, how can they know if they've never heard? We at least need to give them the option to decide if they're interested or not. Or you know what? There's another possibility for why we're not telling others like we ought to. Maybe the evangelical church of today has become like that old liberal church I used to attend. You know, where we've, we've accepted the doctrine of that old church that I used to go to. I mean, maybe we have become universalist in our doctrine. And that's the theology. That's what the doctrine was that this church practiced. That everybody goes to heaven. Doesn't matter if you're, uh, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish. Doesn't matter if you're Muslim. Doesn't matter if you're Hindu or Buddhist. Everybody. You could be a sinner. You could be a violent murderer. You're all gonna, we're all going to get to heaven and start over. That's what their doctrine was. 
But you know what? If that were the case, if that were even a remote possibility, okay, if everybody's going to heaven no matter what, then we don't need to waste our time telling people about salvation through Christ. Why waste our time? Why why bother? Uh, And furthermore, if that's true, then God never should have wasted his time sending his son Jesus into our world. And Jesus never should have wasted his time suffering and dying on a cross. I mean, if everybody's going to go to heaven anyways, then you know what? The Old and New Testaments are the biggest joke in the history of man. Because as I read that book, man and woman were created in the first chapter of Genesis. And then they fell. They turned away from God. And ever since, the entire story of the Bible is God pursuing man, coming after man. I want you. I want relationship with you. I want fellowship with you. I want you to live with me forever. Not just here on this earth, but when you get to heaven, I want you to be with me forever. That's the message of the Bible. I mean, it doesn't, again, God, God creates and man turns against him. And then the rest of the book, all those chapters, is all about God pursuing man. And the only way, the only way is for God finally to become man. To live among men for a period of time. And then to die for their sins. And then to be raised from the dead. Hey, you know, this, I should have saved this for Easter. I'm sorry. If everyone gets to go to heaven no matter what, then the entire Bible's a joke. It's a waste. And I refuse to believe that Jesus Christ went through all that he went through to gain my salvation. I refuse to believe that that was a waste of time because I know that he's alive. I know that he's real. I know better. And I believe that you know better. And God's word tells me that a person who does not know Jesus Christ as their savior, if they have not believed in Jesus as their savior, when they die... They go to hell. The only way to heaven, the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Let's look at the third chapter of John's gospel. I know you're familiar with this. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, religious man, religious teacher of his day named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus at night. He said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, truly, I, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Well, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time to be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh is born of flesh, but spirit is born of the spirit. Do not be amazed that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with the, those everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And you don't understand these things? 
Truly, truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, and yet you people do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him would have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And we should never apologize for that. that God said that. We didn't make it up. God said that. Anyways, let me close. And there are two things I want to do as I close this message. <clears throat> First, I want you to make a list of family and friends. Okay? Uh, maybe on, on the front of your bulletin this morning... 10 most wanted list. Maybe you don't have 10 names. Don't feel bad about that. That's good. If you have a, if you have a lineage of Christianity in your family, you've got brothers and sisters and loved ones and, and, and they know Christ, that's great. So, but there must be somebody in your life that doesn't know the Lord. Maybe somebody you work with, maybe a distant relative. Maybe, maybe if, you do, if everybody in your whole family is all saying, praise God, I'm glad for you. I'm, I'm happy. I'm thrilled. I rejoice with you. Pray for a world leader. Put them on that list. But I want you to put a list of people, hopefully those who are closest to you. And I want you to put them on that list this morning, a little bit later. Or you, as they come to mind, you can put them down now while I'm talking. But I want us to pray. I want you to pray for them. I want you to plan to share the gospel with them. Because, you know, they will go to hell if they die before hearing about Jesus and being a given a choice to receive him as Savior. That's fact. That's scripture. Secondly, I want us to come to this altar this morning in a little bit in a, and, and ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes all the difference. I want you to listen to this. This is Jesus in John 16, 7. Jesus said, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict. He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. You see, the advocate that's mentioned here that Jesus is talking about in the Greek New Testament, the word there is parakaleo in the Greek. And it means helper. And it signifies the Holy Spirit. He says, he says it's good that I go away because then another comforter, just like me, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity will come and he will do the impossible through you. He'll do the impossible. Because as we read here, only the Holy Spirit has the power to convince and to convict and to convert the human heart. You don't have that power. He's the only one who can save a person's soul. You don't have that ability. Our job is not to save people. Jesus did that on the cross. The Holy Spirit will bring the conviction. Our job is to be a witness. Our job is to testify. Just like, just again, imagine that courtroom scene. God is the judge. Jesus Christ is the advocate. He's a spiritual attorney. We're a witness on the stand. And right now our job as witnesses is to conv convince people, tell people that this is real. This is real. And then the Holy Spirit can do his work. He'll take over. He'll touch their hearts. But how can they believe in one they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone tell them? So see our part? Our part we, it's a cooperative 
It's a cooperative effort, us and the Holy Spirit. And this, by the way, is why I want us to seek the Holy Spirit this morning. You see, a little while back in this message, I told you how it took the disciples about seven weeks before they began to tell others about Jesus. They were witnesses. They had seen him being tortured by the Romans. They saw him die on a cross. They witnessed him in his resurrected form. But they had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. They were told by Jesus to wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit that would come upon them and that the Holy Spirit would give them the power to be witnesses. And you know what they, well, you know, you know what they were doing before they went to Jerusalem? You know what they were doing? Jesus told them what to do. Go to Jerusalem, wait there. The Holy Spirit will empower you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the whole world. But you know what they were doing? After, after he died, after he rose from the dead and he, and, and he ascended in heaven, you know what they were doing? Went right back to their old way of life. At least the fishermen did. In John chapter 21, the disciples are not in Jerusalem waiting for the promise of the Father. Instead, they went back to fishing. That's what they knew. Remember, he, he said, no longer you be fishers of fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. After he ascends, they go back to fishing for fish. They were in Galilee. They're 100 miles away, plus or minus a few miles. They're 100 miles away from where they're supposed to be in Jerusalem. And of course, you know what? That's, that's where we are. We're going to work every day, making some money, paying our bills, and trying to survive until we get to heaven. But we don't want to be, we don't want to be where the disciples are at this point in their history. We don't want to be there. We want to be empowered. We want to be filled with enough compassion to reach those who are closest to us. We've been called to reach the lost, the lost sheep, and even the prodigal. And so again, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to gather together here this morning. We're going to ask God to fill us with more of his Holy Spirit so that we can be more effective witnesses, lead others to salvation. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting let's get so full of the Spirit that we can't shut up and stop speaking in tongues. That's not what I'm saying. I want us to be witnesses. I want us to be witnesses. And I'm not talking about even becoming more effective in some manual, mechanistic way. I just, becoming full of the Holy Spirit that maybe they'll see something different in us. Maybe the Holy Spirit's presence in us will make people open up. And then we'll have the opportunity to witness. And then we'll see the Holy Spirit bring conviction into their hearts. And as we pray this morning, again, I want you to think of 10 people whom you know close to you that need Jesus. Uh, again, on the front of the bulletin this morning, and there's more, there's more in the lobby if you didn't get one. You can get one on the way out and just stick that in your Bible or put it somewhere prominent in your home where you remember to pray for these people. And just make these people your focus in prayer. That's where it begins. Not just running out to tell them, Pastor got me all excited about witnessing. No, pray for them. Pray for barriers to be broken down. Pray for God to begin to tenderize their heart. Just ask God to lead you and guide you as you pray for them. And then look for an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. If we could, uh, Heather, if you'd come to the keyboards. Let's find a place of prayer this morning. And um, take that sheet with you. There's a pen in each seat pocket in the seat in front of you. And just go ahead and, and think about who you need to pray for. You don't have to have a complete list. There may be, <clears throat> there may be someone later today that will come to mind.
but just put their names down. Make this concrete. And as we're standing, come now, even before the music starts playing, let's just find a place of prayer this morning. And if you can't kneel, you can sit right where you are. That's fine. God knows our hearts. But I want us, as you write down these names and as you pray, I mean, I want us to, we're going to pray in a moment for the Holy Spirit really to just, to fill us again, to refresh us, to refill us. We can't do this without him. Now, the disciples were in the wrong location, but they were doing, in a sense, they were doing the right thing because they hadn't been filled yet. They really, they really wouldn't have been effective witnesses. But eventually they were confronted and they had to, they had to go back to Jerusalem and had to wait. And so every day, if you would, just pray, God, fill me with more of your spirit. Fill me with more of your spirit. And, and don't, don't think of it in a quantitative sense. There's no way you're going to know how. I don't, I don't think we can really know how full we are because I've had God use me when I felt like I just couldn't even be used. But just, Lord, please just fill us, God. Just fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. God, that those around us, those that are lost, whether they be family or friends or coworkers or classmates, whoever they might be, neighbors, or there just be something about us. Lord, even as your word says in the New Testament, that, that there be an aroma, that there be a fragrance that they would be drawn to instead of repelled by. Lord, that we wouldn't jump into every spiritual or political or or, or, or any kind of issue out there that would divide, but Lord, that we would, Lord, that we would simply exude a fragrance that only your Holy Spirit can, can put out from us. God, I pray that you'd put a hunger in, in the people's names that we're putting down, what, what they represent, Lord, each name represents God. I pray that, there, that there, at the same time there'd be a hunger in their hearts. Lord, maybe even a sense of desperation if that's what it's going to take. But Lord, that they would, they'd come to us. Or maybe when we go to them, they would be open. We'd sense a new, fresh opening in them. Lord God, I know it doesn't have to be forced. But Lord, you'll use us. We're meant to be witnesses. Lord, just pour your, pour your Holy Spirit into us. Lord, we know in the book of Acts, the apostles were told not to worry about what they would say because you would give them words to say. Lord, we don't have to take a class in witnessing. We don't have to go to a Bible study and learn how to share what's happening to us. It's, it's, it's a testimony. It's a testimony of what's already happened to us. And every one of us has had a unique experience and we can share that with someone. God, I just thank you for the assurance that you gave me many years ago that you were alive, that you were real, that you loved me, that you cared about me, that you wanted me to live a good life here, but, but, but even more importantly, a life eternal, a life eternal in heaven. Lord, I was on a pathway that was certainly going to lead to hell. I mean, broad is the way, broad is the way, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Lord, help me, God. Help me to share the good news of what you've done for me with others. Help me to share it with others. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. Because, Jesus, we know, we know you're coming again. And, Lord, we know that it's important that we be ready for when you return. And if some of us in this group, if we don't make it, if we don't make it till the day you return, we're still going to go to meet you. And Lord, I thank you, God, that, that as far as I know, everyone in this congregation knows you and they are ready. But yet as we're praying this morning, I realize that, Lord, there could be, there could be even just one person came in this morning and they don't know you as Savior. And they're not ready for heaven. They don't have that assurance that I had. And friends, while we're praying right now, I need to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know Him as your Savior? Do you know without a doubt that you're going to spend eternity in heaven because of your relationship with Him right now? If you're uncertain, if you're not sure, then I want you to raise your hand where you're seated, where you're standing. And I'd be glad to pray with this morning. You can ask Jesus to come into your heart, come into your life, be your Savior. Is there anyone at all say, Pastor, I'm not sure that heaven is mine. I don't, I don't have him in my life, but I do want him in my life. Is there just one? Father God, I, I thank you for each one here today, Lord, that there seems to be an assurance that we all know you. And so, Lord, again, I pray that you use us to reach those closest to us. I thank you, Father, for this congregation, for this church family, all that we do to reach people that we'll never meet until we get to heaven. Lord, I thank you for our missionaries and what they're doing around the world. I thank you for all the tools that we have today to reach people in distant countries. And even in, in countries that are restricted from the gospel, we can still get the gospel in. I thank you for what you're doing around the world, Lord, and that you've chosen to use us, that we're part of that. And now, Lord, I pray that we would begin to see results in the next several months, if not sooner, God, that we'd see results with people who are closest to us. That you would change lives, God. That you would change destinies with the good news because you're the good shepherd. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, God. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning. Lord, we do seek you, God. We need more of your Holy Spirit. We confess that this morning. We need more of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would get our minds off the mundane, the stuff we've got to do every day. It, it is. It's part, but it shouldn't be our focus. It's part of our life, but it can't be our focus. Lord, I thank you that just as in the first days of the church, you empowered those apostles and those disciples and those followers, and they became witnesses. And Lord, I pray for that same power to be at work in our nation. And Lord, let us start here. And Father God, right now, I pray your blessing in each one of our lives as we leave this place. God, I pray your rich blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.